So let's uh, continue talking about the, this recent series we have started, Set Foot on the Road Never Traveled. Today we're looking at Joshua chapter 8. Turning defeat into victory. The Chinese have a very famous saying. It says, failure is the mother of success. If you haven't undergone failure, how will you experience success? But yet, uh, people always uh, put emphasis on our successes. That is why we often forget that behind every success, there are a lot of failure, failures. There was a man. At the age of 22, he lost in the election for the legislature. At 23 years old, he failed in his business. And at 26, he failed again in his business. And at 27, he lost the election for the representative again. At uh, 30 years old, his wife, uh, beloved wife, passed away. At 32 years old, he uh, suffered mental issues. At 34 years, four years old, he lost again in the election for the Congress. And at 40 years old, he lost in the election for the Vice Presidency of the U.S. And at 45 years old, he lost again in the election for the senatorial for a senatorial post. And at 52 years old, he became the president of the United States. And I believe that you all probably can guess who this person is. He's the 16th president of the United States. Abraham Lincoln. And the life of this person is filled with failures. And yet, he became one of the most respected uh, president of the United States up until today. Let me ask you. Uh, what is the reason why a person can turn failure into success? Of course, one of the most important reasons is that this person shouldn't uh, give up so easily. But there's a very important reason. We need to find out the reason for the failure, for my failure. There is this saying that's very famous. Perfect makes per, uh, practice make perfect. Practice makes perfect. That's how it is translated in Chinese. Of course, uh, there's nothing wrong with this saying. You should get your practice and practice and practice. You need to continue to practice and practice and practice. But actually, this saying is not very accurate. You need to add one more word. Perfect practice make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. 
Think about this. If uh, you in the midst of your practice and if your movements are wrong, no matter how much you practice, you never ever become perfect. You'll never ever become perfect. For example, you play badminton. There are some very basic movements that you need to know. Just like, for example, when you are smashing the shuttlecock. Why is it that a lot of people suffer a problem with their elbows? Because their movement is incorrect. When you smash the shuttlecock, and if, you, uh, if your hand uh, is not smashing downwards, if uh, you stop at this point, your strength will remain up here. And there will come a point in time. Then your elbow will suffer problems. So you need to understand what is the best way to practice. Like manner, in our lives, if we want to, to turn our defeat into success, you need to first understand where lies the reason for my failure. And the Lord Jesus said to the church at Ephesus, Where you have fallen, that is where you stand up. You need to understand where you failed. Where lies the reason? For example, if you're in a company, if you have you're having problems in your relationship with your colleagues, and then you leave. Let me tell you. Your relationship with people will never be well. Not that you aren't allowed to leave the company. But before you leave, you need to resolve your relational problems. Otherwise, this problem is going to appear again in your next job. Last week, the, uh, the Israelites failed in the city of Ai. Why is it that the Israelites failed in the city of Ai? Because they did not resolve some hidden sins. This was the message last week. They underestimated the enemy's strength because they had a prideful heart. They despised God's command because they had an irreverent heart. They underestimated their own weaknesses because they had this covetous heart. But praise be to God. Last week, we saw that they repented of their sins and that they boldly faced their failures. They uh, took out uh, Achan, the one who committed the sin. And uh, they uh, devoted to God those things that were supposed to be devoted to Him. And as a result, on the second time, when they faced the city of Ai, and that is today's message, they won the battle. And where's the reason for that? Number one. Number one. Because they once again acknowledge that God is the, their commander. Number two. Number two. They carefully plant a strategy for their siege. 
they restored the reverence in their worship of God. Let me explain this. First, the, the Israelites once again allowed God to be the commander of their army. I told you this. The Israelites actually fought a lot of battles on their way to the promised land. And it was like more than 20 battles. But the Bible only recorded uh, four of them. And that includes uh, the uh, Battle of Jericho, Battle of Ai, Battle with the Southern Kings, and the Battle with the Northern Kings. And there's only one battle in which they lost, and that is the Battle of Ai. Why did they fail? Because they did not allow God to be the commander of their armies. And before the battle, they did not come to seek God. How can you tell? Now you pay attention to something very important here. In these four very important battles, there's only one occasion, and that is in the battle of four eye. That prior to the battle, that God did not speak a word to them. There was not even a single promise for the Israelites. God was very silent. And if God is silent, you have to examine why is it that God hasn't spoken to me in a long while. God is a speaking God. Because our God is a speaking God. He loves to speak with us. In 1 Samuel, God spoke to this little boy. And his name was Samuel. You know why? You know why? Because no one was listening to God. Even the high priest wasn't listening to God. Even the two sons of the high priest, uh, they committed sin again and again. God kept silent. And so God kept silent. God did not speak a word until he saw Samuel. And God spoke to him. Our God is a speaking God. Our God is a speaking God. Whenever in your life that you have not been hearing God speak to you, in your devotion, that nothing happens at all, not only for once, not only for a year, year by year, but year after year. You're re reading the Bible and then uh, you're not prompted at all and then you have you find no interest in it at all. Now it is not during that time that you have to close the Bible, kneel before God, examine yourself and ask yourself this question, why is it that God hasn't spoken to me in a long while? Look at this. Uh, when they were faced uh, prior to this uh, battle of uh, the city of Jericho, before the start of the battle, God said, said Joshua, I have delivered uh, Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. This is God's promise. As a result, they were able to uh, 
gained the city of Jericho. When they were faced with the southern kings, prior to the battle, God said to Joshua, don't be afraid of them because I have already given them into your hand and no one will be able to stand up against you. And so Joshua was able to defeat the uh, southern kings when they were faced with the northern kings prior to the battle the Lord spoke to Joshua don't be afraid of them because by this time tomorrow I will surely hand them all over to you uh, slain over to Israel prior to the battle God's word had already come God's promise had already come only in the battle of city of Ai that God did not speak a word that God did not give even a single promise to the Israelites you know why? because the Israelites did not actually seek God they have forgotten something that the Lord is the commander of our armies and because of one success they uh, became Proud. They despised their enemies because they were proud in their hearts. But praise be to God. Where they had fallen, that's where they stood up. And on the second occasion, when they sought God, look at this. Chapter 8, verse 1. Prior to the battle, God once again spoke to Joshua. Don't be afraid of them. For I have already delivered into your hands the king of Ai, the people, his city, and his land. Praise God. Prior to the battle, God once again uh, gave his promise to the Israelites. Look at verse 2. But there's a bit of difference in this particular battle to the first time they went to battle against I. That uh, there is a difference in the way they handle the plunder from the battle. Look at verse 2. You shall do to I and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city. The first difference. I'm going to deliver the city of I into your hands. Just like what I did to the city of Jericho. But there's a difference here. In this time, during this time, all the plunder, all the livestock that you get from the city of Ai, I'm going to give them to you. You see how foolish that the greed of Achan was. If he had waited a little bit longer for God's timing, 
he shouldn't have died. He would have gained God's blessing. Please do wait for God's timing for you. It's not that God doesn't want to bless us, but rather that the time may not be ripe yet. When the time is ripe, it's going to be yours. The second difference, the difference in the strategy. Look at the latter part of verse 2. You set an ambush behind the city. Set an ambush behind the enemy lines. And this is a strategy. City of Jericho. God said, encircle the city. Walk around the city once every day. And on the seventh day, seven times. So a total of 13 times. And that was the strategy for them to uh, gain the city of Jericho. But uh, coming to the city of Ai, it wasn't encircling them. But rather set an ambush behind them. Set set the the ambush behind them. Hide your your soldiers behind them. Later on, I'm going to explain in a bit more detail about this strategy. But I want you to understand something very important here. In these first two verses of chapter 8, allow us to see that the Israelites once again acknowledge the Lord to be the commander of their armies. Once again, they entrusted the lordship over to the Lord. God, in whatever way you want me to fight this battle, that's what I'm going to follow. And this is the first very important principle in our lives for us to be able to turn defeat into success. You need to once again entrust the lordship of your life over to the Lord. Uh, uh, the life is like a race. But it is a marathon race. And uh, as you're running, uh, it's uh, not avoidable that you may trip and fall. But where you may have fallen, that's where you stand up. And you complete the race. And God already knew. That we're going to fail. But by God's grace, we will be able to stand up again. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, Jesus already knew that Peter was going to deny him three times. And he reminded him early on. Look at Luke chapter 22, verses 31 to 32. Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus said to Peter, But I have prayed for you. But I have prayed for you. I've been praying for you. You surely will be able to stand up again. But once you are able to stand up, you need to do one thing. You need to strengthen your brothers. 
church. Sometimes God allows us to fail. So that we may learn the lesson that uh, to trust the Lord in the midst of our failure and to be able to stand up again. And there's a very important reason. So that you may be a blessing, you may be a testimony toward the, for others. We love to share testimony for the Lord. But let me encourage you with something. Don't always be talking about some good testimonies. I'm not saying that uh, you cannot share bad testimonies or good testimonies. What is a testimony that can truly be helpful for others? Is uh, after you failed. How you were able to stand up by trusting in the Lord. Don't always be talking about uh, testimonies of successes all your life. And then you've forgotten to talk about your failures. Yes, success is very good. But if you have had too many successes, People don't see that you've failed. It seems like you're not living in this world. You're like an angel. I'm not like you. What's a human being? I, I'm a human being. But uh, we all experience failures. You need to tell people how I failed. But how, by God's grace, trusting in God's grace, I was able to stand up again. And such kind of testimonies will be the ones that can be helpful for, for the people around us. May the Lord bless you. So that you may be a person Who's, uh, whom God can use to testify on his behalf. Not to testify about yourself. The second thing, they carefully plant a strategy for the seed. Look at verses uh, 3 to 8. Let's read this. So Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack Ai. He chose 30,000 of his best fighting men and sent them out at night. With these orders, listen carefully. You are to set an ambush behind the city. Don't go very far from it. All of you, be on the alert. I and all those with me will advance on the city, and when the men come out against us, as they did before, we will flee from them. They will pursue us until we have lured them away from the city, for they will say, they are running away from us as they did before. So when we flee from them, you are to rise up from ambush and take the city. The Lord your God will give it into your hand. When you have taken the city, set it on fire. Do what the Lord has commanded. See to it, you have my orders. I'm not sure whether you understand what he was saying after listening to this passage. Because uh, there are a lot of places mentioned in this uh, passage. Perhaps you may not understand what he's trying to say. Now I'm going to show you a map here. There are three places here. Number one is Jericho. Number one is the city of Jericho. Number two is city of Ai. Number two is the city of Ai. Number three is battle. This Number three is battle. Joshua, Taishan, Pai, Saman, the army. Joshua first sent out 30,000 men in ambush between 2 and 3. 
But later on, Joshua felt that 30,000 might not be enough. So he sent another 5,000 soldiers. So the so between the city of Ai and the city of Bethel, there were 35,000 men who were waiting in ambush. So between the Ai and Bethel, there were 35,000 soldiers. So between city of Ai and Bethel, there were 35,000 soldiers oh, waiting Joshua in ambush. And where was Joshua? Joshua, and uh, Joshua led his army, uh, the main force from the city of Jericho, and they went to this uh, northern part called uh, Joshua's camp. And during the start of the battle, Joshua the uh, army that Joshua led, uh, try, they were trying to fake that they were losing. And so they fled. And so the city of Jericho, the soldiers, uh, the king led his soldiers out and to uh, pursue Joshua and So when that happened, uh, 35,000 soldiers that were hiding in ambush uh, suddenly came out and they rushed into the city of Ai. So they were able to take the whole city. They burned up the whole place. And so when Joshua saw the fire, he raised up his javelin. And so all the soldiers that he was leading turned around to attack the city of Ai. So look at this. At this moment, at this moment, the soldiers of city from the city of Ai they were squeezed in between. And this was the soldiers that were Joshua was leading. And on the other side, there were the thirty-five thousand soldiers who. Uh, uh, who did the ambush? So they were sandwiched in between. So look at verses 24 and 25. When Israel had finished killing all the men of Ai in the fields and in the wilderness where they had chased them, and when every one of them had been put to the sword, all the Israelites returned to Ai and killed those who were in it. So 12,000 men and women fell that day, all the people of Ai. And uh, when they fought the battle of Jericho, they encircled the city. And now that they fought the city of Ai, they set the soldiers in ambush behind the enemy lines. Now, what is that to us? We're not going to fight battles but there's some very important principles here that I want you to understand God often give us only the principle behind the, the things that we need to be doing but how to do it it's up to you God told Joshua about the strategy of setting an ambush. But how to uh, work on the details? You be the one to decide. So church, understand this. The Lord uh, gives us principles from the Bible. And we must use our experience 
our common sense and our wisdom to create a plan. Many people ask a question. Does the Bible say anything about this? Can I watch movie or things like that? The Bible doesn't say. But actually, the Bible only gives us some principles that includes our daily lives. How do we serve in the church? How do we do business? Principles are already there. But the method can be changed. Because of different generations, different methods. So as long as you understand the principle, that's good enough for you. And uh, to make it clear for you, allow me to share three examples. Number one, and it's about a principle of marriage that we a lot of us care about. Who do I get married to? There's only one principle in the Bible. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. This is the principle that the Bible has given us concerning marriage. Christians, you are uh, not compatible with unbelievers. Please remember this. We are not discriminating against unbelievers. I acknowledge uh, that a lot of unbelievers, their character, their education, their uh, capabilities, abilities, are even much better than Christians. See how many CEOs in the world are actually Christians? Not a lot of them. But why is it that a lot of very smart people aren't Christians? Now, I, I know that a lot of non-Christians perhaps they're more handsome than we are. Look at the uh, Korean movie stars, especially the men. I don't understand why they look so handsome. But uh, thank God uh, I have a handsome son. There are a lot of uh, Korean uh, uh, movie actresses that uh, their faces are so beautiful, so their skin are so clear. That's what my wife says. So I'm not saying that non-Christians, unbelievers aren't good. That's not what we're saying. But uh, what we're saying here is, this. you cannot be yoked together with them. Because the path that you're taking are going to be different. If you're not married yet, you won't understand this. But once you get married, that's when you'll understand. Especially when you're courting her, then everything's fine. Or, or when uh, he's courting you, you, you want to come to church? Of course. Of course, he'll come to church with you. You want to get baptized? Okay. He'll, of course, say, okay. But let me tell you, after you're married, you ask him to come to church with you, he's not going to come. It's such foolish. 
He's going to say that uh, that's that's dumb. Uh, you know, I work so hard from Monday to Saturday, so on Sunday I'm gonna sleep in late. And uh, you ask him to pray. Why? Why should I pray? Prayer is no use. You ask him to give of his offering. And he'll tell you, that's even dumber. You know, I worked so hard for this money and I'm going to give my money. So here comes the problem. And uh, you say, Pastor, there's, there's so many ladies and so many men in the church. How then can I tell which one is mine? Let me tell you. Let me tell you. That's your choice. As long as he or she is a believer, that's okay. That's you want uh, somebody who's handsome, that's going to be your choice. You want uh, someone who's beautiful, that is your choice. You want someone who's wealthy, that is your choice. You want someone who's intelligent and smart, that's your choice. Or you want somebody uh, more dumb, then that's also your choice. But Please remember, whenever you make a choice, you have to be responsible for the consequence. And don't you complain against God or against people. But this is your choice. Because this is your choice. This is the principle in the Bible. Now don't you believe? But, uh, among so many millions of people that God has prepared a person uh, with this name for you. And this is Ruby's choice. Ruby, regret Of course not. May <laughs> God help us. Second, the principle of discipleship. Matthew chapter 28, 19. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And this is the principle that God has given to the church. The church exists to make disciples of all nations. Full stop. Now, how do we make disciples? And that's up to you, church, for you to plan and to think about. But the resources of the church must be focused on making disciples. And this is the only principle that God has given to the church. Life Online Missional Discipleship. The church uh, currently is using what we call the Life on Life Missional Discipleship as our method. We're not, we're not saying, really, we're not saying that this is the only way. Perhaps there are a lot of other ways for us to make disciples. But uh, our leaders feel that this is perhaps uh, some, something that's more suited for the needs of our church. This is the principle. Use our wisdom, use our common sense to make disciples. This example. And the third example. Healing. The principle of healing. Look at James chapter 5, verses 14 to 15. If is anyone among you sick, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. 
and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. And the Bible says that if, if there is anyone among you that's sick, what do you do? Call the elders of the church to pray for you. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. And surely someone is going to ask a question. Is that real? Is that true? Maybe we're giving the person false hope. Uh, does everyone get well after being prayed for? Yes. Yes. Number one, Number one please remember. Not every sick person is going to get well after they are prayed for. Because that is what the Bible says. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There is a time to be born and a time to die. There is a time to, be, uh, to heal and a time not to heal. So there will be at times that uh, we do not get healed. But please remember, if a person gets sick, we pray for the person. Praying is the responsibility of the church. But to heal, that is God's work. It's not my prayer that makes the person well. But rather, I, through prayer, I bring this person before the Lord and ask God to heal the person. The second, that is, which is more important. What is the background of James chapter 5? When, when we read the Bible, we cannot take it out of context. James 5 is talking about the, the truth concerning the second coming of Jesus. And let me ask you a question. When Jesus comes again, is there going to be in any person who's sick that the Lord will not be able to heal us? In the future, in the new heaven and the new earth, is there going to be anyone who's crippled? Is there going to be anyone who's blind? Is there going to be anyone who's going to suffer no. heart attack? No. No. No, not at all. Otherwise, I don't want to go to heaven. Let me share a very simple testimony. And this is something that I've thought for a long while. But I have no ill meaning or ill intention on this. Because when my mother passed away, I, I went to Hong Kong, I went back to Hong Kong to take care of all the funeral arrangements. And of course, I used the Christian ceremony for my mother's funeral. One afternoon, I was in the funeral, funeral home, I was walking outside the lobby. I saw a cross from our chapel. There was another one, another person who passed away. And uh, from the looks of it, I could tell that they were using a Buddhist ceremony. No, I have no ill meaning to this at all. It's just a matter of uh, the differences in our faith. But I saw something. You know, the Chinese, they like to burn a lot of stuff. They, they made uh, some paper houses. 
And even two workers. Two workers. And an iPod. And one more thing, very special. A wheelchair. You know, I stood there for a long while just staring at that wheelchair. I said that why are they going to burn a wheelchair for this dead person? When this person goes to where he or she is going, when she arrives there, when he arrives there, and the person still needs a wheelchair, this is forever and ever and ever. Now remember, that's going to be forever and ever. Something that is not right. So I thank God. I know that that's not right. I know that that's not going to happen to us because God is going to give us a glorious new body. So Revelation chapter 21 verse 4. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So church, prayer is our responsibility, but to heal is God's work. That's all. all. So whether the person gets healed or not, that is not my responsibility. But prayer, to pray or not to pray, that is my responsibility. The third is returning to worship to the Lord and worshiping the Lord in reverence. If you look at verses 30 to 35, after the Israelites fought the city of Ai, the first thing that they did wasn't a celebration. The first thing that they did was to worship God. You know, one of the reasons why they failed in the attack on the city of Ai, they did not uh, revere God. God gave them a command, but it is as if that uh, they didn't hear it. So now they're learning this very important lesson. The first thing, they worship God. They gave glory to God. First, they once again built an altar for offering. Look at verse 30. Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel. As Moses' servant of the Lord had commanded the Israelites, he built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. On it they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. With worship, with uh, offerings, uh, they ended or they concluded this battle. And the Bible says that they sacrificed fellowship offerings. Fellowship offerings offerings can be also referred to as peace offering or thanksgiving offerings. So very evidently, they gave thanks to God. They sacrificed fellowship offerings to God. They sacrificed thanksgiving to God. Church, you know, in the Bible, uh, the Israelites, the ancestors of the Israelites was Abraham. So God called Abraham out from his uh, 
uh, people from his own land, from his own family, go to the land of Canaan. Now take note of this. Genesis chapter 12 and 13. And every place that Abraham arrived at, the first thing that he would do is to build an altar and sacrifice to God. First thing. This is what he did. Look at, Look at the verse 7 and 8. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. This was the very first time that Abraham uh, built an altar to the Lord. When he arrived in the promised land, he said that this is the place, this is a promised land. First thing that he did was to build an altar and sacrifice burnt offering to God. And later on, he moved to another place. From there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. He moved to another place and uh, when he arrived there, the first thing that he did was also build an altar to the Lord. And later on, he parted ways with Lot. And he arrived in the place called Hebron. Look at what he did. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. Abraham, every place that he went to, first thing that he did was not to build his own house, was to build God's altar. For what? For what? Building an altar, the purpose of which is to worship, to pray, and to draw near to God. May God help us. Keep the main thing, the main thing. I always say, keep the main thing, the main thing. What is the main thing in your spiritual lives? Build the altar. That is to build an altar. Is there an altar in your homes? Every day when you get up, which room, which place is your altar? My office is my altar. My office is my altar. Every day I come here to worship God. I every day I come to my office to worship God. How about you? What about you? This is the first thing. The second thing. It was in that place where he proclaimed God's blessing and God's curses. Now this is very special. He divided the 12 tribes into 6 tribes each. And 6 tribes, he sent them up on Mount Gerizim. And to proclaim God's blessing. And the other six tribes, he sent them to the Mount Ebal to proclaim God's curses. What is this? You need to go back to the book of Deuteronomy. Look at this. See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today. The curse if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn from the way that I command you today by following other gods which you have not known. When the Lord your God has brought you into the land you are entering to possess, you are to pro proclaim on Mount Gerizim the blessings and on Mount Ebal the curses. Before the Israelites uh, entered the land of the, the promised land, 
God told Moses. After the Israelites entered the promised land, there's one thing that you need to do. Go up on Mount Gerizim and on Mount Ebal to proclaim my blessings and my curses. Listen to my words. Those who listen, obey my words, I will bless them. Those who disobey my words, I'm going to curse them. I've personally been to this place. I went to the Mount of Gerizim. And across from Mount Gerizim is Mount Ebal. In the future, if you have the opportunity to go, go to the Holy Land, you'll be able to visit this place. You know, it's very interesting. Mount Gerizim. You see trees, you see uh, like uh, grass, and uh, it's all green. But the mountain across from uh, the Mount Ebal, it's all like rocks and stones. You don't see any trees at all. So it's a mountain of curse. And this other mountain is the mountain of blessing. For what reason? Obeying God's word and disobeying God's word. You know what Joshua was trying to do? Okay. They are affirming God's law, that God's law would become the Israelites' uh, principle for uh, unchanging principle for their lives in the promised land. That you've arrived in the promised land. How do you how do you live your lives in the promised land? It would have to be according to God's laws. You know why? You know why? Let me explain this very simply. How much, how long would you like to be experiencing God's blessing? How long would you like to be living in God's promised land? Depends on. It all depends on. Whether you are going to obey God's law or not. Uh, to explain this in our words, in our language How long would you like God's blessing to be in your life? Depends on. It depends on how long you are walking, you are obeying uh, God's word, God's laws. And this is the emphasis of the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is not as simple as just uh, repeating God's laws to the Israelites again. Deuteronomy is directed toward the new generation of the Israelites, wasn't it the older generation? Moses told them, this generation is going to enter the promised land. But how long would you like to live in the promised land? Look at this. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verses 46 to 47, he said to them, take to heart all the words that I have solemnly declared to you today. This day, so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words for you, they are your life. By them you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Take a look at, at the, the uh, last sentence. By them, 
them is going to go strong. But by them, you live long in the land you have crossing the Jordan to possess. By them, them referring to God's law, you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Church. Do you want to continue to experience God's blessing? Do you want to continue to con living a victorious life? You need to learn to uh, fear God all your life. Obey the word of God. Obey the word of God. Obey God's word. Then God says that I will continue to bless you. The Israelites. It was such a pity for them. After 600 years, they ceased to exist as a nation. They lived in the promised land for 600 years and then they ceased to exist. Because they no longer obeyed God's word. They were scattered all over the world. May God bless us. So that uh, for us, uh, we experience God's blessing from one generation to the next. On one condition, that every generation should be obeying God's laws. May God help us. Let's pray. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you are indeed the God who gives us your precious promises, Lord. And you promise to bring blessing upon all those uh, who obey your commandments, Lord God. Thank you so much for this uh, reminder from uh, your word, from the life of Joshua, and uh, from how he, they fought, the, how the Israelites fought the battle of the city of Ai on the second time around. Help us, O oh God, that uh, every one of us, Lord, every family who's represented here, Lord, that we may learn hard this lesson of obeying God's laws, obeying God's word, so that we may experience a blessing from one generation to the, to the next. Thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.